You're listening to My Therapist Thinks, a modern mental health podcast. We're your hosts, Andrea Bozia and Mary Beth Samich. We are licensed therapists with a passion for making therapy accessible, relatable, and relevant to your life. Let's get started. Today, we're talking about a topic that occurs very often in people's childhoods and impacts their development dramatically, but it's rarely addressed or talked about in the day-to-day. So we want to shine a big spotlight on the psychological phenomenon of parentification. Parentification occurs when the roles of a child and a parent are reversed. This role reversal is something that often flies under the radar in many families, but it's worth bringing attention to and reflecting on because it can manifest as increased anxiety, depressive symptoms, and even frustration in adulthood. By taking a closer look at how parentification may have played a role in your life or even a loved one's, you can better understand why you or that loved one may respond the ways that you do under certain circumstances that may trigger these parentification wounds. So let's talk about how parentification comes to be dynamically. So parentification occurs when boundaries are blurred and the roles of parent and child become reversed. Children assume developmentally inappropriate or caregiving roles within the family, and these roles go unrecognized, unsupported, and unrewarded. And I want to emphasize that this is often unintentional on part of parents who are really unaware of the family dynamic they're creating in oversharing with their children or relying on them as companions or caretakers and often mediators of conflict between parents. And this can happen in any family dynamic, uh, but it's especially prevalent in families where one or both parents have mental illness or addiction, may have experienced trauma, or are going through separation or divorce. These families tend to be more vulnerable than others. However, it can really occur in any family naturally as well. So right now I urge you to take a moment and reflect on your own experience in childhood and which dynamics may even still be at play currently. Did you grow up in a home where there may have been addiction or mental illness, separation or divorce? Did you take on developmentally inappropriate or caregiving roles within your family? Did you play caretaker, companion, babysitter, mediator? This is a time to really sit back and reflect on your own childhood experience. And aren't there two types of parentification? Yes, actually. So the first type is emotional parentification. And that is when parents depend on their children for emotional support and validation. So children assume the role of partner, secret keeper, uh, basically emotional caretaker. And they attempt to create peace and safety within the home acting as mediator between parents during conflict. And just really, this is the emotional, they feel an emotional weight, right? They feel like they have to comfort and help their parent through what they might be dealing with. And this is often, it develops because parents tend to vent to their children inappropriately about what's going on or triangulate them into their conflict. Okay. Well, I think you know, to be clear with this one, it sounds like it's really healthy for parents to communicate with their children as long as they're doing it in like this age appropriate way. Yes. But what you're describing is that when parents 
maybe overshare and they're looking to their child for emotional support to help them cope pretty often, then the child is taking on responsibility to make their parent feel happy and okay. And that's when it becomes inappropriate. Yeah. There's a dynamic you really have to consider here. Your child is not your friend and that creates an inappropriate role shift when you treat them like your friend. And you're absolutely right. It's great to share your emotions with your children. We want them to have a healthy idea of a full spectrum of emotions. Um, you know, so I encourage when parents are sad to share that with their children or afraid to share that with their children, as long as it's age appropriate and the parent is in control. When you get into trouble is when the child perceives that the parent is not in control of their emotions and that they then need to step in and provide support, or they start to feel responsible for making sure that the parent is okay, which is where you, where you get into messy territory. The second type is instrumental parentification. So this is when children are expected to carry out developmentally inappropriate caretaking tasks. So this one's focused more on tasks like raising siblings, looking after sick family members, grocery shopping, paying bills, etc. And I want to emphasize it's okay to give your child age-appropriate responsibilities, right? We even encourage that. But here we're really talking about duties reserved and appropriate for adults and for parents for that matter. So this places undue responsibility and stress on the child. Right. So if you're talking to a teenager about parentification or, or even you're reflecting back on like whether or not you were parentified, having to have done chores or watch your sibling once in a while does not mean that you were parentified because um, that can build character and competence. Maybe it wasn't your favorite thing to do, but it's a normal thing to do developmentally to take more responsibility. But in this case, it would become problematic if it's starting to interfere with that kid's relationships or schoolwork or maybe even their like emotional and physical health. Yes, absolutely. So let's go over some signs that may indicate you were a parentified child because parentification and the dynamics at play there have lasting effects into adulthood and how we relate to ourselves and to others. So some of these signs that we're about to go through, you may still be wrestling with in adulthood today. So the first sign would be struggling to play, relax, or let loose. This may have started as a child, but you may find that even in adulthood, it's just really difficult to do. And the weight of responsibilities in your to-do list or your felt and experienced anxiety just doesn't allow for much play or relaxation. You might be at a party with friends and find yourself unable to let go and enjoy yourself as much as others. Yeah, I think that what you're addressing here, that struggle to play or let loose is really signifying that the person is missing a sense of safety. So when you're feeling on edge most of the time, instead of being able to sink into feeling relaxed, because perhaps feeling relaxed relates more to being uncomfortable for you. I think of the phrase, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Mm -hmm, that's a good one. Right? Like that one I think sometimes hits home because you know, you don't want to feel like you're not prepared. And perhaps it, when you're having fun or the idea of fun can be stressful for you because maybe then you won't be prepared for something happening in the future. So, 
you could have trouble accessing joy and excitement that may come from letting loose. You know, I've worked with many highly anxious clients and one thing that I hear over and over again is that sometimes they don't want to relax because they don't like it. Have you heard that before? Yes, definitely. When we start unpacking that more and more, we realize that it doesn't feel good for them to relax because once their nervous system switches from sympathetic, which is activated, to parasympathetic, which is more of the rest and digest complex, they can that can feel very foreign to them because they're typically in a state of hyperarousal. So if something is foreign to you, it's probably going to feel very different. And if something's different, then it can also feel uncomfortable. So I just want to say there's nothing inherently wrong with you if um, you have trouble relaxing and having fun. This is something that you can teach yourself throughout different exercises and strategies to lean into. So it's something that definitely can be fixed, but important to recognize if it's happening to you. And this presents in my office many times as clients who might say, I just don't feel like I'm experiencing joy or living in the moment. I hear that a lot. And sometimes, not every time, but sometimes we trace this back to a parentification wound. And I help them connect with that inner child who's really craving play or relaxation and just wants to enjoy themselves. Yes. Yes. So another sign that you may have been parentified is if you were pulled into arguments between your parents or perhaps they overshare with you. And there's actually a term for this. It's called triangulation or being triangulated. And when we think of communication, we think about a direct line between two people. So for example's sake, let's say a mom and a dad, right? There's a line between them. But if mom is going to the child and dad is going to the child and venting about each other, that creates a triangle instead of a direct line. And it puts a lot of pressure on that child to hold space for each parent which is dynamically inappropriate. And I see this a lot in my office with teenagers who will express it as a frustration in their relationship with their parents because, you know, in adolescence, they finally have the insight and the language to recognize like this doesn't feel good, but it may have been happening since even earlier and just hasn't felt good that whole time. And so it's interesting to note that this dynamic actually continues into adulthood if it goes uncorrected. So even when the teenager is no longer living at home, the parent is still engaging in triangulation when ideally we want some healthy differentiation at this age. So differentiation means the child is kind of coming into their own and giving the parent is giving them some freedom and some independence and kind of letting go and letting them um, move into adulthood. So, and in doing so, the idea is that that child then becomes very clear on their own opinions, desires, wants, and needs, as opposed to adopting those of their parents. But if the parent is still buzzing in their ear so often about their own issues and drama and conflicts, it makes it really hard to develop that differentiated sense of self. Yeah. I think it's really hard for parentified people to be able to identify their needs and wants. And, you know, I think this can come up in many different ways because first, the biggest thing that comes to mind is that parentified kids are going to prioritize their needs over their wants, right? Because they're seeing needs in solely this physiological term of food and water 
Um, and that's probably because they have not had the opportunity uh, to explore those more complex and dynamic needs, such as you know, overall well-being and self-expression and connection. Um, and this probably means that they didn't experience unconditional compassion and empathy and even trust to build safety in that nuclear family that would have allowed them to practice autonomy and, and build clarity around their ability to express themselves. So I don't know, by saying this, I just kind of feel like these kids were probably disappointed so many times when their needs for connection and self-expression were not met. They're likely functioning from this maybe pre-programmed place of complacency of just being satisfied with what's handed to them. So they're no longer really seeking and identifying that these other pieces are also important. You know, when you said that, it made me think that the wants are really more of a luxury because when you crave attention, connection, or quality time from a parent, and then you don't receive it, you learn to shut that want or need off. Mm-hmm. So usually if a parentified teen or adult hasn't done considerable work around this, it makes sense that they would have a hard time pausing and reflecting what needs may actually not be met and what they might actually want. Because that would require acknowledging some potentially deep pain points that perhaps there wasn't a sense of emotional, personal, or even financial safety. And that's something that they need to function optimally and to consider the next hierarchy of needs, because, you know, we all have a hierarchy of needs and at the bottom are the very basic ones, you know, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, and then we work our way up. And some parentified children may not get the opportunity to really work their way up that ladder. Yeah. Great point. And I think not being able to work up that ladder can really appear differently and subtly in your everyday life. For example, you may have a difficult time finding a hobby that you like because you're unsure of what you actually like to do, right? Or you might be so quick to meet other people's needs that maybe you become overwhelmed when somebody asks you what you want, um, even for dinner or what you want to do on a date or something like that. It's just really challenging to come up with a a clear idea of what it is that you would enjoy. Yep. You're so right. And it's not even maybe that you're indecisive, but that you're not really tuned into what it is that you want. Right. Cause you're prioritizing the people around you. Yes, definitely. So another sign is being complimented often for how adult or responsible you were as a child or teen. If you can reflect back and think about that, this can be a confusing one because it's socially praised within our society to be responsible and to, you know, act adult when you're a kid, you know, adults really appreciate that. So this might've felt like a compliment, but really think about like, did it stem from parentification or even this idea that I had to be self-reliant and so responsible from a young age? And when you become so reliant on yourself, it's, it's harder to trust others to follow through. And it's difficult to trust that they'll be responsible. So are, were you someone or are you someone now that really dislikes group work, um, fails to delegate, or worries that others may not show up in the ways that you really need them to? And operating in a self-reliant way 
if you are a parentified child who's now an adult, might just be a lot more comfortable for you, a lot more reliable. Definitely. And I think that brings us to another sign of parentification, which is then finding yourself in the caregiving role um, over and over again. So really when this is the case, it signifies that you're sacrificing parts of yourself constantly to be in this role. And I often see this happening subconsciously, like a person literally gravitates towards caring towards other people. An example of this might be if you kind of look into your friend group and see there's that one person that's like always taking care of everyone else, like especially when you go out, like kind of the mama bird um, or the daddy bird. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, that I think of it as being like hypervigilant, like that on edge piece again. And even by being able to predict what other people need before they even know it or even that they say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really common in enmeshed families. Enmeshed meaning that boundaries are really blurred and there's a sense of severe loyalty to each other above all else. I actually have a freebie coming out this month on Instagram on enmeshment. It's a quiz um, that you can take to learn more about it and see if it's something that may be a play in your own family. But there's essentially a sense of limited boundaries and dysfunction portrayed as closeness, loyalty, and togetherness, which can be really confusing. So you may feel largely responsible for other family members, either physically, socially, financially, or emotionally. And there's an obligation to act in that caregiving role. And unfortunately, sometimes there are social consequences within the family for not doing that. And so part of doing work in therapy around parentification and enmeshment includes learning to set healthy boundaries for yourself around this expectation. And it is not easy. Let me tell you, clients will come to me because they really need the therapeutic support and empathy and validation around setting boundaries for the first time, maybe with family members who will give a lot of pushback because they're like, Hey, don't do that because this system has worked for me and in my favor. So I don't really want you to become a healthier, differentiated person because that doesn't work for me. Yeah. So just know that you'll likely receive a lot of pushback when you're going through that process and that support is available. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if one doesn't have awareness around this, they might not even have insight into how they could have potentially developed some even compulsive tendencies to help them reduce their anxiety and regain some control in their more chaotic life. So in my office, I see this developing into more serious conditions such as OCD. Uh, So for example, you know, as a kid, someone may have had the thought that randomly came in one day that if they avoid maybe certain numbers or words, uh, or they repeat certain behaviors over and over again, they're going to be okay. And so when they start practicing this ritual over and over, when their environment feels out of control, or they're feeling anxious, they can start to develop this like inflated sense of responsibility for others that they believe that they have some sort of power to prevent negative outcomes from happening either you know to themselves or to somebody in their family this is just is very draining very draining for a child and then later for the adult who may continue to repeat this behavior because it becomes something of a habit right so logically you may know that you know organizing my shirts in a particular way or 
um, repeating this phrase over and over again doesn't you know make sense logically that it would keep someone safe or help reduce my anxiety but forever for whatever reason it does so i'm just going to keep doing it and then unfortunately it just leads to a lot of distress yeah it speaks to that deep desire for control lastly it's worth recognizing that typically more sensitive and empathic people end up being parentified and sometimes I wonder, it, maybe it's a chicken or the egg scenario here. Like, is it the sensitive kids that become parentified? Or are we dynamically making these kids more sensitive and empathic because they're put in this position of deep responsibility and hypervigilance emotionally around others? Right. You know, it, it sounds like they intuitively pick up on what's emotionally unsafe and then they learn to act accordingly to provide that support to prevent whatever something bad from happening. So ultimately, it's like a safety mechanism, right? There, it's a double-edged sword. You're empathic, and that's praise, but it's also hurting yourself in many ways because ultimately you end up feeling overwhelmed and anxious most of the time. Right. It's hard to win in that situation. Mm hmm. So what can you do if you've identified some of these signs in yourself, a loved one, or even your child? We know that parentification during childhood has lasting effects on mental, emotional, and physical health. And as we've discussed, parentified children carry a slew of symptoms with them into adulthood that tend to go unrecognized or might be labeled as responsible and mature. So my first suggestion, and it may sound a little out there for some that aren't familiar with it, but it's inner child work or reparenting work. So this is when we really find ways to honor that inner child consistently within us. Um, maybe through structure you didn't have or play that you didn't get to enjoy. And you want to do this um, guided by a therapist who really understands this work. Um, and it helps you to become more aware of your own wants and needs so that you can connect with that sense of fulfillment or joy that you might feel that you're lacking. Um, and listening to these wants and needs for the first time might feel really new and novel to you. So often I will say what we realize we need most, whether it might be attention, comfort, reliability, whatever it is, is actually what we didn't receive from our primary caregivers and may still be desiring. So this work really helps create safety, security, and community around yourself. Like maybe your family is not a safe place to get these needs met. And so helping you kind of form a safe community that serves as a pseudo family environment that can help you have emotionally corrective experiences. So really just reparenting and doing that inner child work and bringing it into the present, integrating it into your adult life. Yeah. And along with that, uh, practicing loving self-talk. So when we're speaking about inner child work, a way to do that is to identify what age is coming out when you're having a reaction, a very strong reaction, and, and see what part of yourself is speaking up. Like, what does that part need in that particular moment? Is it your 30-year-old self? Is it your 25-year-old self? Or maybe it's the six-year-old self um, who didn't feel seen or heard um, or understood. 
And sometimes, you know, I, I mean, I practice this with myself quite a bit. And sometimes the answer is like, Andrea, you need some ice cream. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, hell yeah. You know what? I'm going to go get some ice cream. I need to chill out. Uh, but other times, of course, it's it's a lot more raw and vulnerable and things come up that can be challenging, but can be so healing once we, you know, give that inner child a voice. Yeah. When you get really good at this, it's easy to identify and name your wounds too. A technique that I like to use with clients and even with myself is how old do I feel right now in my body in this moment? And that is so dependent on what triggers may be coming up in that moment. For example, if I have a client who, and this is kind of a random example, but who might be really triggered when his wife asks him to help clean up after dinner and he just gets irrationally annoyed and irritable and is also reflecting like, I just don't understand like why I react that way. I, I don't know what gets into me. I might ask him, well, how old do you feel in that moment? And right off the bat, he's like 10. I'm like, oh, wow. Well, that was really easy for you to identify. Like what was going on when you were 10? And he may say, you know, well, my mom used to nag me incessantly and would not get off my back ever. Cause you know, my dad was gone when I was 10 and, uh, I, she really relied on me to take care of a lot and it was just too much. So all the old wounds and the junk from 10 years old is still activated in there somewhere in our nervous system. So it can be really powerful to be like, okay, what is this? What caused this reaction? Let's do some work around this. And it's worth asking yourself also, is this dynamic perpetuated still? In what ways is a parentified dynamic still existing? Because when we talk about acting as a caregiver or serving as an emotional support, how does that feel for you? Are mom and dad still venting to you? Are you still responsible for making appointments and paying bills that aren't your own or caring for siblings, making sure their lives are adjusted and they're emotionally well? Where are your boundaries really being pushed? Absolutely. And I think that kind of leads us into thinking about boundary setting, how we can set boundaries with ourselves, but also with our caregivers. And like we mentioned before, I think it can be especially difficult for enmeshed families or ones that have trauma bonds to address these boundaries, but it is possible and it is important work to do. But I do highly recommend working with a therapist to process through your specific family dynamic and how the relationships have contributed to how you're feeling in the present moment so that they can better inform how you set those boundaries. Because it's going to look different for everyone. You know, it, it may look like talking to your parents about your experience um, and how to move forward from it, from it, or it may look like limiting your interactions or learning ways to redirect conversations so that you're no longer in that parenting role as much. So regardless of the level of parentification you might identify with, it's important to know that these patterns can be healed and unlearned at any point so that they're not carried into future generations and so that you can live more freely. Thank you for inviting us into your day. We hope you enjoyed the information shared in this episode. As a reminder, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. We encourage you to reach out to a licensed mental health professional to support you in continued growth. 
be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when new episodes launch, to rate and review us on iTunes, and follow us on Instagram at ABC Therapy and at Your Journey Through. Because it's going to look different for everyone. You know, it, it may look like talking to your parents about your experience um, and how to move forward from it, from it, or it may look like limiting your interactions or learning ways to redirect conversations so that you're no longer in that parenting role as much. So regardless of the level of parentification you might identify with, it's important to know that these patterns can be healed and unlearned at any point so that they're not carried into future generations and so that you can live more freely. Thank you for inviting us into your day. We hope you enjoyed the information shared in this episode. As a reminder, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. We encourage you to reach out to a licensed mental health professional to support you in continued growth. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when new episodes launch, to rate and review us on iTunes, and follow us on Instagram at ABC Therapy and at Your Journey Through.